All right, good morning, church. Welcome back for week two of our series on the book of Exodus. We are excited to walk through God's story of redemption, how he brought the people of Israel out of darkness in Egypt by his mighty and merciful hand. If you're just joining us, last week, Pastor Dave uh, set the stage for this book by looking at chapters one and two of Exodus. So let me remind you today how Exodus chapter two ends. It ends like this. It says, during those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning. And God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew So the people of Israel originally came to Egypt for peace and flourishing during a famine. Now they're living under oppressive Egyptian rulers, and life is unbearable. And so they cry out for help. And what do we learn here? We learn that God heard them. God saw them. God knew that something had to change. Now the image of God hearing his people is and listening to them is actually pretty prominent throughout Scripture, but sometimes... In our lives, a barrier can arise that prevents hearing. So let me give you an illustration at the beginning here. Does anybody know what these are? In fact, if you have the camera, you can zoom in here, right? These are earbuds, okay? And if you don't know what earbuds are, they're, they're the new headphones, and now, if you, now, with earbuds, you'll find people often on public transit or airplanes or gyms or probably even in your own homes with earbuds in their ears listening to, to music or to podcasts, you know, whatever. Now, here's the thing about earbuds. They, they fit pretty tightly in your ear. Uh, it makes it really difficult to hear other people. And my wife can attest to this, right, because I I might be doing something in the house, I might be listening to something, and she'll call my name several times, and then I'll take them out and I'll say, I'm sorry, what did you say? (laughs) Right? That may be a a similar experience in your house. See, earbuds are good for music, but they are a barrier to hearing others. And here's the other thing, right? Earbuds can actually have long-term hearing loss consequences, in fact, I came across a recent, uh, recent article that was entitled this. It was called Generation Death. Generation Death, Hearing Loss Among Millennials. And in the article, doctors uh, warn that a steady onslaught of loud noise, particularly through earbuds because they, they fit so tightly in your ear, uh, makes, um, makes, makes, makes a whole generation wired for sound possibly losing or damaging their hearing. Although you might not realize it for years. So what the article said is more than 1 billion um, people, young people, are at risk of hearing loss because of personal audio devices like smartphones and damaging levels of sound at entertainment venues where the noise levels can top 120 decibels for hours. That's according to the WHO. Now, if you listen to sound that is too loud for too long, what it does is it damages those little hairs in your ears, causing them to die off. And some of you are saying, man, I wish the hair in my ears would die off. (laughs) In fact, parents, you can give this information to your kids right now. Here's the point. When we erect barriers to hearing, it can have slow, long-term consequences. And, And I think, and for us, this is true for our spiritual lives as well. 
Because when we stop trying to listen to God's voice, when our hearts are distracted by other noises, we have trouble hearing God. And so I ask today, are you experiencing some kind of spiritual hearing loss? Have the earbuds been, of the world been lodged in your ears for so long that you can no longer recognize God's voice? Well, if so, I want to remind you of a really familiar story that we find in Exodus chapter 3. It begins this way. So now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Now, you may remember, again, if you were here last week, that Moses has fled Egypt. He killed an Egyptian soldier, and he's in the wilderness now where he's met his wife, and he's working for his father-in-law. Essentially, he's minding his own business. And we learned at the end of chapter 2 that God, back in Egypt, God has heard the cry of his people. But Moses does not appear to have any idea of what's going on back in Egypt. Moses is living his ordinary life. And we're going to see in these chapters that God had other plans for him. And while I can't definitively say from the text, I do wonder if Moses had developed some kind of hearing loss to the voice of God. And what he needed was a wake-up call. And so do we. Because too many of us are walking around with ear, you know, ear, something in our ears, rocking out to music, ignoring the larger story that God has for us. But sometimes, even if you're walking along with something in your ears, you might notice something. You see something that causes you to pause, take those things out of your ears, and notice it. And a similar experience happened to Moses as he approaches Mount Horeb. Look at verse 2. It continues. It says, And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. You notice our bush here on the stage today. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. So Moses is walking along on, on an ordinary day. He's walking along with his sheep, and then all of a sudden, boom, he sees this strange sight. It's a bush. It's seeming to be on fire, but it's not destroyed. What does Moses do? Look at the next verse. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burning. Like, oh, wow, that bush isn't burning? Okay, I got to go check it out. In other words, Moses' attention was so captured by this strange event that he stopped. He took those things out of his ears because God got his attention. Has there ever been a moment in your life when God got your attention that you just stopped and you stared? And you said, I got to see what that's all about. Maybe, maybe it was the death of a loved one, unexpectedly. Maybe you're facing an ethical challenge at work and you're not sure what to do. Maybe, maybe parenting is just, it's, it's so complex in this culture that you, it's causing you constant stress right now. We all encounter moments that can change the trajectory of our lives, moments that cause us to stop and wonder what we will do next. God uses those to grab our attention. Now look at what Moses experiences in verse 4. It says, when the Lord saw that he, Moses, turned aside to see, God called out to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses, and he said, here I am. And then God said, do not come near. Take off your sandals, take the sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. It's holy ground. 
See, in those moments when God grabs our attention, we need to listen to the voice coming from the fire. And what does God say? He says, he says take, off, take, take the stuff off your feet. You're standing on holy ground. In other words, you are so close to me, Moses, it's time to listen. Look at verse 6. And he said, this is God, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. So God announces himself. He reveals himself to Moses. His presence is so potent that Moses is afraid. And in the next few verses, God explains to Moses that he has heard the cry of his people in Israel. He knows they're in trouble. He knows they're suffering. And he is going to do something about it. What is he going to do? Exodus 3.10, it says, Come, this is God, I will send you, Moses, to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. He's going to send Moses on a mission to rescue his people from bondage. And Moses, who spent many, many, many years in the wilderness at this point, is stunned, right? The earbuds are out. God has his attention. And so today we're going to look at Exodus chapters 3 and 4, very famous story. It's a story about God restoring our hearing, God removing the things in our ears and saying, listen to my voice, the voice of fire from the bush, because I want to use you. Church, do you need to hear the voice of God again today? Maybe you don't want to listen because you're afraid of whatever mission he might send you on. But God wants to use each of us to build his kingdom. And when God calls us, when you have that burning bush moment, there are three questions that we need to ask. And these are the very questions that Moses asks in Exodus 3 and 4. And the questions are simply this. Who am I? Who is God? And what if they don't believe? Who am I? Who is God? What if they don't believe? We're going to look at those questions in turn. But before we do that... Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for my friends who are here today. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the narrative from Exodus, Lord. May it encourage us. May it motivate us, Lord. May we draw closer to you and open our ears that we may hear your voice today. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. So, when God calls us to do something outside our comfort zone, the first natural question we ask is, who am I? I. In other words, why would you choose me? And am I capable of doing what you're asking me to do? That's the question that forces us to look inward. And that's the sentiment behind Moses' first question. Look at Exodus 3.11. It says this, but Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Right, God, God, why? Why are you asking me to do this and not the person standing next to me? Because the reality is that, if you, listen, if you're a follower of Christ, God issues two calls in your life. The first call is the call into the kingdom. In other words, God wants to save us from sin. He wants to adopt us into his family. He wants to make us right before him. That's the first call, the call of salvation. Secondly, though, God calls us to build his kingdom. 
And this is where things get a little more uncomfortable for many of us because might, God might ask us to do things that we would rather not do, right? God, would ask, God asks us to do things we would rather not do, and we say, let the other person do it, God. But God calls us to build his kingdom, to see lives saved and transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ, to see justice and to see human flourishing happen in this world, in our communities. And if you're a Christian, God will present situations to you in one of two ways. Either he's going to send you out on a mission, or he's going to bring that mission to you through circumstances. He's going to send you out on a mission, or he's going to bring the mission to you through circumstances. So he might call you to go minister to a people group. Maybe it's people in the inner city, or the poor in your community, or the neighbors on your block. Or he can bring a circumstance into your life where you need to step up and lead um, in building his kingdom. Maybe it's, maybe it's the birth of a special needs child. Maybe it's a tragedy in your family or a struggle that a coworker brings to you because they know there's something different about you. God calls us to build his kingdom, and discerning what that looks like forces us to ask that first question, who am I? How has God equipped me? Now, part of building God's kingdom involves sharing the gospel, um, but that's hard for many of us. That's hard for many of us. In other words, um, we, we all need to, we, we, in order to grow in evangelism, we need to know what kind of evangelist we are as we go out. And so let me give you an illustration of this. Um, we started to run uh, this course this week called Tactics. It started this last Monday night. And the course is all about sharing, uh, you know, talking with your, your unbelieving friends uh, about the things of faith, about the gospel in, in, a, in a really engaging way. How do you share the gospel, what we call evangelism? Um, now, what's interesting to me is that the course starts off by asking each person in the course to assess themselves. And so what we, do, what we did is we took a poll. And the question that was asked was this, when I think about discussing Christianity with non-believers, dot, 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 question mark, how would you answer? And here was the choices we were given. Um, I relish the encounter, first. Second, I'm willing but nervous and uncertain, okay? Third, it scares me, but I try anyway. And then fourth, I try to avoid it. Now, even as you're watch, listening to those questions right now, you're maybe assessing yourself and, and figuring out how you would answer that question. Um, the majority of the class answered uh, two or three. So right in the middle there, right? Honest. Uh, some people, man, they wrote us the encounter. Nobody in the class answered number four, which was, was kind of encouraging to me. But the point is that when we're, when we're going out to share the gospel, we need to assess who we are and where we need to grow. Who am I? Who am I? That's the question Moses asks, and that is the question we need to ask when God calls us on mission, because that mission comes by going out, or it comes, it comes to us through circumstances. So let's come back to Moses for a second. Look again at verse, verse 11, and uh, his question here was motivated by a really specific task, going back to Egypt, confronting Pharaoh, advocating for the Israelite slaves, now, I imagine based on what we know of Moses, um, we can understand that there's, there's some baggage, right, in Moses' life, right? There's shame. He killed an Egyptian. He fled Egypt. He's like, what, what are they going to say if they recognize me when I go back? In many ways, Moses went out into the desert to reinvent himself. He, he's, he's now a shepherd. He's not a statesman. 
But Moses' past may be the exact reason that God chose him. Who am I, he says. Well, God's answer to Moses is really interesting. Look at verse 12. God said to him, but I will be with you. And this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Pause. Now, at first glance, this may seem like a non-answer. right? It's like Moses is talking to a press secretary who's trying to skirt the issue. He says, who am I? And he says, I'm going to be with you. Uh, Okay. Who am I? I will be with you. What are we to make of that? Well, to understand this answer, we should look back at all the times in Scripture that God, uh, God's people have been in trouble. And what is the common answer that God gives to them? He says, I will be with you. No matter what happens, I will be there by your side. Even though God's answer seems to miss the point, it actually is the answer. What God is saying to Moses is this, your identity, Moses, is tied to my identity. You are my messenger to my people. I am going to go with you and I will speak through you. And so God says that the same thing, he says the same thing when he calls us. This is how commentator Tim Chester in his commentary on Exodus summarizes God's answer to Moses. He writes this, and God says to you, to us, church, I will be with you. You can walk through life with me. You can base your sense of self on your knowledge of me. You can find your confidence and worth in knowing that I am there for you and here with you. You can know that I am with you and your achievements and your failures and will not affect that status. I will be with you. Now, isn't that freeing? I mean, one of the reasons Moses was afraid to answer God's call is that he was too fixated on himself. He missed God's promise of power. And this is true for many of us. Knowing who we are is important, but knowing who God is, that is a game changer. So to hear God's voice, Moses needs to take those those earbuds out and let the voice of fire refine his heart. Who am I? I will be with you. Now the second part of the verse foreshadows what God will do later in the book to confirm uh, his promise to Moses. We're going to get there later on. But before we leave this section, I want to share with you an observation that I heard recently on a podcast from a pastor named John Tyson. And the discussion on the podcast centered around uh, the challenges that church leaders are facing dealing with polarization in our culture and in our churches that we're facing in 2021. And he made a lot of profound statements in the course of the interview, but one really stuck out to me, and this is what he said. He said, you need to recognize that God, in his sovereignty, chose you to lead during this moment. He didn't choose Martin Luther he didn't choose Augustine. He didn't choose Charles Spurgeon or Corey Tom Ten Boom. He chose you. And then he went on to emphasize the importance of prayer. And I bring that up because I think what John Tyson said is the point of the burning bush narrative. All of us in this room are leading in some way in life. It doesn't just apply to pastors. You're leading in your home, or you're leading at your work, or you're leading in your school, wherever. The message of Exodus 3 is this. God chose you for this moment. 
to build his kingdom and to display redemption to the world. And then secondly, you gotta take off your sandals and you gotta get on your knees in prayer. You gotta pray hard. Like Moses, we all need moments in the wilderness, on the mountain, to hear God's voice and let it set your heart on fire. But you have to then come back and live out his missional call on your life. Who am I, you ask? God says, I will be with you. But if God is going to be with us, we naturally, like Moses then, have to ask a second question, and that is just simply, who is God? Who is God? Now, now if you're like me, when I'm, when I'm asked to do something I don't want to do, uh, something outside my comfort zone, I push back, right? And usually that pushback comes in the form of a question. What exactly are you asking me to do? Right? How am I going to know that that's the right thing to do? Like, wh- what does this entail? And that's exactly what Moses does. And there's a lot of Moses in each of us. We learn immediately that God's first answer is not enough for him. And so look at how the narrative continues in verse 13. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What's his name? What shall I say to them? What shall I say to them? Now now notice, Moses' inquiry shifts from his identity now to God's identity. So the question is not, who am I? The question is, who are you? Who are you? Now before you start criticizing Moses, I want to emphasize a really crucial point here. The most important question you can ask in your life is this question right here. Who is God? In fact, a mentor of mine always told me that the two most important questions anyone can ask is just simply, who is God, what is he like? Who is God, what is he like? And your answers to those questions will determine the course of your life. Or theologian A.W. Tozer, he said it this way. He said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And that is what Moses is getting at. So if you hear a voice from a bush on fire you better ask, who are you? And then in a stunning development, God chooses to reveal his name to Moses, his personal name. Look at verse 14. It says, God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Wow. Now, I just want to pause and and have us take this in, because right here, God reveals his name. And names are important, right? They, They say a lot about us. In fact, names confer identity on us. And God God's name tells us something really important about him, because the phrase, I am who I am, is a Hebrew verb that indicates action, but doesn't have any particular instance in view. And what I mean by that is literally, it can refer to something in the past, something in the present, and something in the future. And so this phrase can literally be, can literally be translated as, I am who I was, I am who I am, and I am who I will be. In other words, I am unchangeable. Or the million-dollar theological term is, I am immutable. Right? The point is, God is telling Moses that he doesn't change. You can trust me. The people of Israel will know my name. And so God takes it a step further in verse 15. He says this. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel. 
the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, he has sent me to you. Now, the I am phrase reveals the unchangeable nature of God's name. This verse right here reveals his personal nature. And if you take note of that word Lord, whenever you read an English translation of the Bible, Lord with capital letters is the Hebrew word Yahweh. Yahweh. And that's a shortening of the phrase I am who I am. It runs the clause together in one word. This is God's personal name. So just like my name is Bob, God is a God named Yahweh. He reveals this to Moses. He doesn't want to stay hidden. And so the people of Israel will recognize him as the God of their ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. This name would recall for them the history of salvation. These two verses, Exodus 3, 14 and 15, are so extremely important precisely because they reveal who God is. Who is God? I am who I am. I will reveal myself. In fact, these verses are so important that author W. Ross Blackburn wrote this. He said, the entire Exodus narrative is an exposition of the name of Exodus 3.14, requiring all its powerful verbs for an adequate expression. So Exodus will show us the God, that God is who he was, is who he is, and is who he will be. And what we're going to see in Exodus are three foundational truths that have bearing on our lives. And the first one is this, God is transcendent. God is transcendent. Now, that's a fancy word for saying that God exists outside the world, that God created the world, that God rules the world. And so as a result, we can believe that God is in control of the world. Second, God is also imminent. And again, that's a theological term that means God is actively involved in the world. God did not just create the world, stay up in heaven and say, good luck. No. No, God cares about what happens in our day-to-day lives. He heard the cry of his people, Israel, in Egypt, and he's going to come down and do something about it. And that's because, thirdly, God is a God who makes covenants. He's a God who makes covenants with his people. Now, in the ancient Near East, a covenant was, was more than a promise, right? A covenant is a contract. It's a legally agreed upon promise. And what we learn through the scriptures is that God never breaks his promises, but humans do. And when a covenant is broken, blood is required to atone for sin, In fact, later in Exodus chapter 24, verse 8, we'll see a scene where after the people of Israel are rescued by God, Moses actually takes blood from a sacrifice and sprinkles it on the people. How'd you like that? Just blood sprinkling all over you. The point is that it's showing what's required if the covenant is broken. Now, a covenant is also more than a contract. It actually changes our identity. We're now part of God's family. We are God's people, and that is why God sends his son, Jesus Christ, to shed his blood for us on the cross for our sins. Even when we broke the covenant with God, God himself died. God himself gave blood. God's name in Exodus 3, 14 to 15 shows that God will always keep his promise to us even when we don't keep our promise to him. 
And he concludes here. He says, this is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Who is God? He is the transcendent ruler of the world. He is the imminent covenant-making and keeping God who is actively involved in the lives of his people. That is what his name says about him. What does your name say about you? And more than that, do your actions reflect the transform, that, you, that your, your life has been transformed by God and his grace? Because when God calls us on a mission, yes, the natural first question is, who am I? The necessary second question is, who is God? In other words, who is the sender making the request? And this knowledge gives us the confidence for our mission. But then in Exodus chapter 3, 16 to 18, these following verses, um, after revealing his identity, God gives some further details about the mission. He tells Moses, you got to go to Egypt, you got to gather the elders, this is what he's telling them, you got to tell them, I sent you, you got to tell them, I will save them. They're going to listen to you, Moses, and then, and here's the rub, and then, then, Moses, you go to the king of Egypt, and this is what you tell the king of Egypt. I spoke to my God, and he said, you need to let us make a three-day journey into the wilderness so we can make a sacrifice for him. So in other words, uh, king of Egypt, you need to let, let go of all the slaves that you have in this, in this land, let them just go out for a three-day journey and trust they're going to come back. How do you think the king of Egypt is going to respond to this request? Well, God knows, and uh, he lets Moses know that the mission is not going to be easy. Look at verse 19. He says, but I know, this is God speaking, I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it, and after that, he will let you go. Now, how about that pep talk? All right, this king of Egypt's a tough dude. I'm going to really have to put some pressure on him, but in the end, he's going to let you go. Now, friends, this is how it can feel when God sends you on a mission. This is why we have to take the earbuds out and become so attuned to God's voice, because it's going to be hard. There will be resistance and some of us right now, listen, just real talk, some of us right now are walking a path we would rather not walk, right, to build his kingdom. Some of us right now are standing in the gap for members of our family. Some of us are taking a stand at our jobs for God. Some of us are losing relationships because we want to be faithful to God. The road is rough, but God's promises, he promises deliverance in the end. Who am I, Moses asks. God says, I will be with you. Who are you, Moses asks. I am who I am. I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, and I'm calling you out on a mission. And so finally, Moses asks the question many of us fear, and that's the question, what if they don't believe? What if they don't believe? And this question goes beyond evangelism, because in Moses' question, what he was doing was trying to convince the people of Israel that God had heard them and wanted to rescue them. Now, have you ever tried to convince somebody that, that God cares for you when they're hurting? It can be challenging. So we ask, like Moses, what if they don't listen? 
right? What if the mission fails? What if I do everything you're asking me to do, God, and it doesn't work and things fall apart? What do I do? See, the last scene reveals the fear that lurks in many of our hearts when God is calling us into the unknown. Even if we know we should do it, we're scared, and we just simply wish somebody else would step up and do it in our place. Why? Well, maybe we think it's too stressful, right? Maybe Moses is saying, God, God, this is too stressful. I, I can't handle it. Now, you know, stress actually has a bad reputation. Stress can actually make us stronger. After all, when you exercise, what do you do? You stress the body. It increases your strength. And there was an interesting, there was an interesting study done in 2012 by the National Academy of Sciences, which found that high-ranking American office officials and military officers actually had lower cortisol, which is the hormone that measures stress levels, than a comparable group who had little or no authority over others. And so what it found is these leaders who had more burdens and challenges, had, they got less nightly sleep, they were more significantly stressed. But according to the study, among the leaders, those who managed more people and had more authority had lower cortisol levels and lower anxiety than those with less clout. So more external stress, but less internal effects on the body. Why? Well, the conclusion was that meaningful work can lower internal stress levels. So if you know you're called to do something, and if you know God is with you, he can actually lower those stress levels. And that's what Moses misses in Exodus 4. God is calling him out. He wants to use him. And rather than stepping into the mission and trusting God, here's what Moses says in 4.1. It says, Then Moses answered, But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. God, what if they don't believe now, is Moses trying to play out every possible scenario, or is he letting his fear get the best of him? But again, put yourself in, in this scene. Put yourself in Moses' shoes. Right, The last time you were in Egypt, where you grew up, you killed a guy and you fled. You've made a new life for yourself in the wilderness for many, many years. Now, you're old. right? You're tired. And, and, God, says, and God says, now, let's go back. How would you feel? Well, I'd probably, I'd probably have all the same questions Moses was asking. I'd, I'd be resistant too. I'd want to just take those earbuds, put them back in my ears, and pretend I didn't hear. What did you say, God? There's some Moses in all of us. But God doesn't let him get off that easy. Look at verse 2 and 3. The Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? And he said, it's a staff. And he said, throw it on the ground. He threw it on the ground and it became a serpent, and Moses ran from it. Now, this scene is always really interesting to me every time I read it, because if God is trying to win Moses over, what does he do here? He says, Moses, you got doubts? Here's a huge snake. <laughs> but God is addressing Moses' unbelief and revealing more about himself. What happens to the snake? Verse 4, God says, And the Lord said to Moses, put out your hand, Catch it by the tail. And he caught it by the tail. He put his hand down. He caught it by the tail, and it became a staff again in his hand. And you say, what? Is this a magic trick? 
right? Did God want to send Moses to Pharaoh to simply do tricks? No. No, God is doing this that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, appeared to you. What if they don't believe, Moses says? God says, I'm going to give you a sign so they will believe. Now, if you're a Bible student, you know that God gives Moses three signs, right? The first one is the staff. And Moses' staff will stay with him throughout Exodus. It's there at the parting of the Red Sea. It's there in all the major scenes. Each, each sign has significance. And the reason the staff turns into a snake is because a snake represents Egyptian royalty. Pastor Dave pointed that out last week. When Moses grabs the snake by the tail, he's demonstrating that God, God has dominion over creation for his purposes. So he's revealing more about himself. Now, the second sign that he gives is Moses' hand. God tells Moses, put your hand in your cloak and when he puts, it, he puts the hand in the cloak and then he pulls it out, what happens? There's, it's covered with a skin disease, most likely leprosy. And then God says, put your hand back in your cloak. He puts it back in, and then when he pulls it out again, the hand is healed. And so this sign shows God's authority over disease and sickness. God is a healer. Now, the first two signs are meant to show, um, are meant to show Pharaoh who God is. But it also is to instill confidence in the Israelites that God is our deliverer. The third and final sign is different. God doesn't do that sign in front of Moses. He just instructs him. He says, if they will not believe, you got to take some water from the Nile River, pour it on the ground, and what's going to happen? It's going to become blood on the ground. Now, blood is, is a symbol of life and death. And the third act foreshadows the plagues that we're going to talk about in a few weeks that God will send on Pharaoh and his house. God gives these signs to the Egyptians and Moses so that they will believe that God has power over creation, that God can heal your sickness, and yes, God will bring judgment on sin. What if they don't believe, Moses says? I will show them who I am, God answers. So God has an answer for every objection, but Moses, <laughs> Moses has more problems. Look at verse 10. Then Moses said to the Lord, Oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent either in the past or since you've spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. Like, God, I, okay, okay, I, I get it, God. I can't talk. Right, I can't talk. Now, we don't exactly know um, what he's talking about here. Maybe he's got a stutter. Maybe his Egyptian is lax. We don't know. But either way, the point is the excuses are mounting. God has an answer for everything. He brings up another excuse. And again, God has an answer. Verse 11, then the Lord said to him, who has made man's mouth? Right? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now, therefore, go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. Who am I? I will be with you. In other words, God is telling Moses, you have everything you need. My plan will be accomplished. But now, we come to the part of the narrative where Moses' heart and our heart is truly revealed. Because Moses has made excuse after excuse after excuse, and he runs out of excuses. And he just simply answers God, God here, in verse 13, it says this, Lord, just 
please send somebody else. And that's it. Right? All, the, all these other excuses were just a cover for Moses' true motivation. He just didn't want to do it. He wanted to put those earbuds back in his ear and go on his way with his sheep. Lord, please send someone else. <laughs> please. And now, now, listen, I'm speculating about Moses' motivation here, right? Maybe it was fear. Maybe it was laziness. Maybe it was comfort or embarrassment. You know, you can make a case for all of those. But the point is, we do the same thing. All of us in our lives, at some point, we're going to have a burning bush moment where God's calling us to do something uncomfortable or he brings something uncomfortable to us and God is going to say, go, go to my people and help them out of bondage. And our first reaction, like Moses, is going to be, God, can't somebody else do it? Like, like seriously, can't somebody else do it? I, I'm busy, God. Right? I, I'm, I got an, I, I'm important. Right? Or, or I'm living a peaceful life and really, I, I just don't want to be bothered. And so like Moses, we make excuse after excuse after excuse when the truth is we just don't want to do it. And here's how God reacts in verse 14. It says, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. God is angry. And, and I mean, he's, he's, he's like really angry. That's, this word means he's really angry. Why? Because he wanted Moses to trust him. If God is calling you to do something you are the one to do it. And our fear, our excuses cannot thwart God's plan. Our fear, our excuses cannot thwart God's plan. So ask yourself today, what are the fears that are keeping me from answering God's call on my life? Now, I don't necessarily mean that God, God wants you to sell your house and move to Africa, although maybe. But I, I mean that God... God may be wanting you to have a spiritual conversation with that neighbor or that family member. What excuses have you made? I, you know, I don't know what they're going to say. Uh, now they might not want to talk to me. I, I just, I've got too much going on. Our fears and our excuses don't surprise God, and neither did Moses's. Because in fact, if you keep reading in chapter 4, this is what, how God responds to Moses. He says, okay, Moses, guess what? You can't talk? How about your brother Aaron over there? All right, all right, let's, let's send Aaron with you. He'll talk, but you're still going to go because you're the one I've chosen for this. Now, I beat up on Moses quite a bit today, but in the end, if you read chapter 4, he goes Right After this, Moses goes back to Jethro, and he says, I have to go back to Egypt. Please let me go. And the rest of the chapter is about uh, his journey back to Egypt, and it ends with him meeting the people of Israel. He tells them God's plan, and here is how the people of Israel react. Verse 31, and the people believed... And when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and worshipped. Their response was worship. Who am I? I will be with you. Who are you? I am who I am. What if they don't believe? I will give you a sign. And they will believe. But you must go because I've called you. And guess what? 
When we answer God's call in our lives, it always leads to worship. Exodus 3 begins with Moses taking off his sandals and worshiping God. Exodus 4 ends with the entire community of Israel worshiping God. The point of these chapters and the rest of the book of Exodus is that God is going to reveal himself to his people, he's going to rescue them, and he wants them to bow before him in worship because it is in worship that our hearts are attuned to his voice. So I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up for one one final song. And as the worship team comes up, I just simply want to ask us to consider as we close, where is God calling you? Where is God calling you? Because for for some of us, whether you're here in person, whether you're watching at home, whether you're listening to this later on, I suspect his voice has been like fire in your heart. In fact, he has been speaking to you for some time. You've just ignored his voice. He's got a calling for you. For others of us, we're battling spiritual deafness like we talked about at the beginning. We haven't spent much time with him recently. You can't hear him that well. And if that's you, I just want to suggest that like Moses, you need a fresh encounter with God. You need to hear the voice of fire. You need the voice of fire to come from the bush and grab your heart. Because when God calls you on a mission and when you're scared... You need to take out those earbuds, you need to take off the shoes, and you need to fall on your knees in worship. Talk to God. Ask him to reveal himself once again and remind you of the truth of Proverbs 18.10, where he writes, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs into it and is safe. No matter what he's calling you into, and no matter what you're facing, he's saying he is stronger. When he calls you, he will go before you. When he feels far off, remember, he sent his son to die for you, to establish an unbreakable covenant in blood. You are his people. When you don't know what to say, he's going to give you his spirit to speak through you. And when you can't hear him, ask the voice of fire to ignite your heart once again. And so we're going to end in worship right now. And as we're singing... Listen to the voice of God and invite God to answer the question, where are you calling me? Where are you calling me? Let's pray and then sing to our great God. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your goodness, for your grace, Lord. I thank you for your word. I thank you for that you're a God who speaks to us, Lord, to our hearts. And I don't know where everybody is in this room today, Lord, but I do know that you have a purpose for each person. Father, I pray that your voice would come through loud and clear, that it would set our hearts on fire to run closer to you, to trust in you more, Lord. Thank you for how you worked through Moses, through the people of Israel, Lord God. Thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross for us so that we could be adopted into your family. And now, Lord, may we go out for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray that. Amen.